Thank you so much, choir and music ministry. God bless you for your service today. I want to invite your attention to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. I want to continue this morning with a Beach Haven Future, part number two. Arlen Johnson wrote recently in a magazine article about IT or institutional technology departments in corporations throughout America, and he found that a number of them use an acronym to describe the problems that people actually have with their computers. And the acronym is PICNIC. PICNIC, all capitalized. It means problem in chair, not in computer. <laughs> and I must tell you, that's oftentimes the case and has been with me for many years since I began using a laptop and desktop many years ago. I want to say to you, as we look towards the future and think about the future as a church family, the greatest difficulty and challenge we will face will not be with our world or community. And it certainly won't be with our God. The good news is, the biggest challenge will be us, sitting in our chair. Now, I say that's good news because, quite frankly, if it is our responsibility, then we can make the changes. We don't have to wait for someone else to change. And so any time that you can readily and accurately accept responsibility for a problem, you are a long ways to solving it. I'm much more relieved when I'm the source of the problem than when someone else is. Well, on my best days, I am. <laughs> because... To fix a problem, if I'm responsible, then all I have to do is change myself because I can't change other people. And I'm sure not going to change God. But oftentimes the problem is in the chair, the problem is not in the community. And it's certainly not with the Creator. Uh, Ken Hemphill experienced this when he went to uh, pastor First Baptist Norfolk. He was meeting with the budget committee and was urging them to expand some areas and some line items in the budget. And he argued that uh, God would be faithful as they were. And he argued that the new families they would win would help them cover the expanse in their budget. And then God could work on the people to change hearts. And one member of the budget committee who had been there many years said, Pastor, you just don't know these people like I do. They aren't going to change. And Dr. Hempel responded, well, perhaps, but you don't know my God like I do. If God is not still in the business of changing lives and attitudes, we'd better close up shop and quit playing church. Well, I've got news for you. God is in the business of changing lives. God is in the business of pulling off resurrections. He does that. What you read in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ is paradigmatic for church life and ministry today. In other words, it's a marvelous reference for our own life and our own church family in this day. It is more than history, what we read in the life and ministry of Jesus. What we read in the life and ministry of Jesus is not merely history, it's current reality. In other words, what Jesus pulled off then, He can pull off today and He still does it. In fact, I'll tell you today that among Southern Baptist missionaries alone, among Southern Baptist missionaries alone, they will win and baptize an average of a thousand people this week, if not more. And across the United States, that's what we'll do among the Southern Baptist people alone. That doesn't include all the great, uh, other great Bible-believing groups. 
and what they do in their ministry and service. And so that leads me to Luke chapter 14, beginning in number 16. Here Jesus tells a parable about a man who wanted to have a great feast, most likely for his son and his wedding. He invites and some turn it down, and so he expands the invitation to include others, beginning in verse number 16. And then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. And then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. The vision statement, the complex internal statement I proposed last Sunday reads as follows. Let me say to you, this is not a final statement. We're going to meet on Wednesday nights, and I'm going to meet the first few months of next year with church family and church members to get feedback. But here's what I'm proposing at this time. By the time we look at it again in August to approve this, it may look a little different, but here is what is on my heart and my mind. Beach Haven Baptist Church seeks to follow Jesus Christ as Lord. As a global church, a mixture of global and local. We've had global mission commitments. I dream of the day when those come home and remain in the international mission field. So this is not an argument for subtraction, but addition. Let's maintain our global mission commitments, but let's bring international missions home. And do that by winning, baptizing, and training. Well, that reflects Matthew 28, 18, 19, and 20. And train, win, baptize, and train great commissionaries, those who have a heart for the Great Commission, a practice, a love, support, giving patterns of those who love the Great Commission. From all nations, peoples, tribes, and languages, like our choir just sung, reflecting Revelation 7, 9, and 10, and the languages of the Athens-Clark County metropolitan region. If we realize this vision, here's what we will see. We will see the day when Jesus' name and gospel are as widespread here as they are currently around the throne. And I must tell you, around that throne, there's not any embarrassment of Jesus' name or gospel. There's no reticence to shout it loud. They absolutely have come apart at the seams with the glory and joy of Jesus Christ. So shall it be here. The day when it is not unusual to hear of Jesus and His gospel but the day when it is unusual not to hear it. The day when the nation identifies the athens clark County metro region not only with the University of Georgia and Bulldog football, but they identify the athens clark County metro region with the name of Jesus Christ. 
And he becomes the primary identifier of this metropolitan region. I dream of that day. Dream of the day when it's hard to go to hell from the Athens-Clark County metro region. The day when every Beach Haven member identifies as a great commissionary who wins and trains other great commissionaries. And the day when Beach Haven previews the coming kingdom of Christ when Jesus returns in His glory and establishes His kingdom. What is it going to look like then? I want people to come here and see it before it ever happens. And God will give us His power. In fact, that's really the meaning of eternal life and the kingdom. And there are several reasons why I believe this is appropriate for Beach Haven Baptist Church. One happens to be biblical reasons. We have some biblical reasons for this. In Luke chapter 14, verse 16 to 24, we find a great invitation that takes place in this text. And we find several uh, developments found in this text. Apparently, a father wanted to give a great wedding for his son. And he set out a feast for everyone to come and to celebrate. Usually these invitations would go out for such a feast many months in advance, and then a servant would go out and verbally remind those who were invited to come. And that's what took place in this text. What a wonderful way to describe the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't describe it as boredom. He did not describe it as something repulsive. When Jesus described his own kingdom and his own rule in lives and in community, he described it as a feast. And I must tell you, I've known him for 30 years, and I agree with every bit of that. It is a good thing to walk with Jesus because it is much like a hungry man or woman coming to a feast and sitting at the table of the king. And so we need to view life with Jesus Christ, King Jesus, as a wedding and as a feast. And I would say to you, if we don't view it that way, you don't know my Jesus. Because that's what Jesus Christ is like. Well, there are several developments in this text. One is verses 18 to 20. There are excuses that are offered, and they're just profoundly silly. Very silly excuses. Look with me first in verse number 18. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground, and I must go see it. Well, who in the world ever buys a piece of ground without looking at it first? Well, that's what this, this man was uh, saying. He, he really didn't want to be there, so he offered up a silly easily penetrable excuse. But there's a second one. Verse 19, another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. Well, who buys oxen without first testing them? Who buys a vehicle without first a test drive? Well, that's what these excuses look like to the Lord. And then verse number 20, still another, I have married a wife, therefore I cannot come to a feast and a wedding where someone else will prepare the food and clean the dishes. Well, what first century Jewish woman, new wife especially, wouldn't appreciate a feast like this? Well, these are the silly excuses that take place here. What you must understand is that these first invitations probably went to people that were at the same socioeconomic status as the father who invited them. That contrast is made later in the text. And I want to say to you, I'm convinced the gospel of Luke is the gospel not only to the poor, the gospel of Luke is also the gospel to the wealthy. Wealthy and well-connected people are given the opportunity to repent and believe. And so any prejudice or any 
uh, negative attitude towards wealthy people needs to be brushed away. Because, quite frankly, not only does God want the poor to respond to the gospel, but it's entirely possible for the wealthy and well-connected to respond to the gospel just like Zacchaeus did in chapter 19. But ladies and gentlemen, these did not respond. They gave silly, easy, penetrable, uh, easy uh, excuses to penetrate. And then we move on to an expansion of the invitation to verse 21 through 23. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servants, Go out to the places where you're most likely to find the broken. And you're most likely to find the unclean. And you're most likely to find the disenfranchised. Those with less opportunity than others. And urge them to come in. Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. Luke likes fours, groups of four, and that's what he does in verse 21. And the servant said, well, we've done that, but there's still room. Then the master said, go deeper. Leave the city and go to the highways and the hedges and urge them, compel them to come in that my house may be filled. I want you to understand the passion of, of the Father's heart as I understand it from Scripture. The Father loves His Son and He created this world to be a kingdom for His Son. It was lost to Jesus when it was turned over legally to Satan in the garden with the fall. Jesus went to the cross and repurchased it. The Father has deep affection for His Son And any time a group gathers to lift up His name, He wants the place where they're gathered to be filled. It is a dishonor to Him not for the whole earth to be filled with His glory and His praises. That is true for churches and Sunday school rooms and other places. Now, it's entirely possible to have a Sunday school room that's entirely too big or a worship center. I understand that. Can't help that oftentimes. But ladies and gentlemen, if there is lack in a worship center, if there's room left in a worship center or in a Sunday school room, it should never be because we have failed with zeal to seek to fill it up for the glory of Jesus Christ. I'm not only interested in the number of conversions and baptisms, I'm interested in the number of praises that go to Him because that is where the Father's heart is. And the more praise, the better, the less praise, the worse for Jesus Christ. And this is what the Father wants in the text. Well, He goes on, and in verse 24, Jesus may have inflected His voice in such a way to indicate This is really a feast for him and a banquet for him. And so he looks at those gathered around. He says, For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. There's a day coming when the Father will throw a feast for the Lord Jesus Christ and Jesus will be exalted. Ladies and gentlemen, If those like us come, let them come and invite them with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But if they don't, God compels us to go to the highways and hedges and urge them to come in. No matter whoever what they are. I have several episodes in my life. I had an episode when I was in elementary school where things were very difficult. My parents had divorced. 
Our economic status declined rather seriously. My mother developed an alcohol problem that eventually took her life a few years later. It was a challenge to live in those days. There were days when we got rather close to not having enough food in the home to feed us. Never quite reached it, but I saw the pantry in the refrigerator. I saw the difficulties of living up in that home and actually experiencing it. Oftentimes our clothes did not match. In those days our hygiene was not always the best. Many older folks amongst us, especially southerners, will say, I grew up poor, but all of us were poor so we didn't notice it. Well, I was in an up-and-coming community in Houston, Texas, and I noticed it. So I've got great sympathy for those who are struggling in that way. The second episode of my life is after my mother's passing, I went to live with my father, who was a naval officer. He'd remarried a schoolteacher. And so I went overnight from one status of living to another. And I think in many ways it saved me from an awful lot of trouble and difficulty. So I've been able to live in both worlds. And I remember in my first church that I served when I was in college, I got a burden for some of the kids in the neighborhood who weren't coming. And so I thought, you know, we need to take our church van and pick them all up. I did not know what I was asking for. But uh, I was talking with my pastor and a woman standing in a group about this, and I, I said, look, I'll come early. I'll go pick them up, share the gospel with them. We never did do that ministry. I was actually prohibited from doing so. But I did get to their homes and share Jesus with them. I think of one young man, I went by 19 times to share Jesus with him because I was concerned about him and loved him. But I remember standing in that group with my pastor and a couple of other folks, and when I mentioned that, one woman replied, well, I disagree with that because I don't want my children hanging around those kinds of children. And I thought to myself, I sure am glad you were not in charge of my salvation because I used to be one of those kinds of children. May I say to you, ladies and gentlemen, anyone who is still breathing is an object of God's loving affection and they are candidates for salvation, baptism, and membership at Beach Haven Baptist Church. Biblical reasons. I will say to you, to the degree that we embrace this, to that degree we enhance the future of Beach Haven Baptist Church, to the degree we reject this biblical principle, to that degree as well we jeopardize the future. There are biblical reasons. But then there are church reasons. There are church reasons to pursue this proposed vision. One, Beach Haven Baptist Church is a Bible-oriented Southern Baptist Church. In other words, we have a Bible that gives us a field on which to play. It's much like football. Football players and football teams have got a field on which they play, and they run all their plays on the field. They do not run plays in the grandstands or out of bounds. They do not run plays in the parking lot. They do not run plays in the field house. They do not run plays at the local public's grocery store. They run plays on the field. That's what the rules say. The Bible, beloved, happens to be the field of play. We run plays that are within the boundaries of the Word of God. But there's a second thing. Not only do we run plays on the field, we get into the end zone. 
we've got to run plays that not only keep us within the boundaries of the Scripture, they actually get us into the end zone. And you poor people, I know, you sure would like to tell a certain football team that, wouldn't you? I know. But that is the marvelous thing about Beach Haven Baptist Church. Beach Haven believes in a field with boundaries. Not everything is excluded, but not everything is permissible. It depends on what the Bible says. Beach Haven Baptist Church is concerned with, Thus saith the Lord. That's certainly where the pastor is, our leadership, and I believe you are too. But not only that, but because we're a Southern Baptist Church, we've got a world on our heart. We're closely identified with Southern Baptists and with the Georgia Baptist Convention, our local association, precisely because there is a world on the heart of all three of those entities. In fact, Beach Haven's been a leader in this state with those kinds of initiatives. So that's one thing among many things that we have going for us. But there's a second thing. Beach Haven is a missionary church. This church has had a concern for the world since its founding in 1959. It has had that kind of heart. It's given more than $4 million to the cooperative program. It's given more than $250,000 to Annie Armstrong, and I think close to a million to Lottie Moon Christmas offering. In other words, there's been a great heart for missions. The mission trips that Beach Haven has taken were among some of the first among Southern Baptist churches anywhere in the nation. They were on the cutting edge of that kind of movement. Then Beach Haven Baptist Church is a generous church. Beach Haven gives better than its numbers. It does. There are very few churches this size that give as Beach Haven does. In fact, we give 10% of our undesignated receipts to the cooperative program. The budget committee is recommending a raise in that. And also, uh, more than a percent to the local association. They're recommending a raise in that as well. But fourth, Beach Haven is a compassionate church. Oh, you can see this all over the place. The kind of personal ministry that many of you never see happens to reflect the compassion of Jesus Christ to many people. Uh, the kind of vocations that many of our people work in in their day-to-day -day work reflects enormous compassion and a desire to serve others in the name of Christ, even in a secular environment. In fact, the places where many of our members live reflect a commitment to be missionary on the ground. The kinds of friendships that our people have reflect a compassionate heart. The kind of service in which they engage reflects a compassionate heart. In other words, com the word compassion is not mentioned often at Beach Haven, but it doesn't have to be because it is lived in many ways. I've learned that since January. Another thing I've learned since January is that Beach Haven is a beloved church. I spent the first four or five months here in Athens seeking to visit community stakeholders. Local politicians, local leaders, others related to the University of Georgia, related to Athens-Clark County, the school system, and other places. And every time I would go in, the first 60 seconds, the people with whom I was spending time said, thank you for what you're doing in the community. I, I don't mean to boost you up and lift you up. I don't think I could uh, make you arrogant and big-headed even if I tried. But the truth is, people are aware of the long history and the heart and the soul of this congregation for the community. When others have moved away, Beach Haven has stayed right here to serve and to give itself away to the athens Clark County metropolitan region. There's great affection that is found here. I find that not only among stakeholders, I find that among people in our own community. They've appreciated the, desi the desire that we have to love them and to serve them. Beach Haven is also an anxious church, a church that is anxious in a positive way, not in a sinful way. I I'm sure we all struggle with that, but what I mean by this is anxious in a positive way. There is the realization 
that over 20 years, the community around us has changed. It does not look like it once did. And quite frankly, that's okay with us. We are in an environment where there are plenty of opportunities. That's a positive thing to Beach Haven. There has been great worry, however, that we've not effectively reached our community. And that is why I think people responded to the message Sunday as they did. We are going to do all we can, not only to touch, but to reach our community and our region. And then Beach Haven Baptist Church is a church with a perfect location. Back when Beach Haven was started in 1959, Beach Haven was on the western edge of Athens. In fact, one of our charter members tells me we were out in the country when the church started. Now, some of you may find that hard to believe, but Athens really did not extend much further than Alps Road when Beach Haven was started, you see. And so, in, in a sense, it was out by itself in 1959, out in the wilderness in many ways. But the city has grown and has expanded west, and then there's been some, maybe what you might call suburban growth in uh, Oconee County, and then some in uh, Jackson County as well. That, that's happened. So what's happened over the years is that, uh, two things. One, the Atlanta Highway, Broad Street, has become the major thoroughfare in the city and we are located with an impressive building right on it. And then, because the city has grown west, not only are we on this major thoroughfare, we are in the middle of everything, not the western edge of everything. And so we've got a community around us that we can reach, but we also are easily accessible to six counties in our immediate region because we are in the middle of everything. Maybe we can move two or three inches to the east or to the west and better position ourselves, but it is hard to imagine a better location from which to reach a community and an entire region than this location. Other places, other churches, God bless them for what they're doing and how they're serving, but folks from the north may not want to go south. Folks from the south may not want to go north, but everyone can come to the heart of this region and find us easily, the vast majority of them within 10 minutes. I think that that is providential, and God has given us a great, perfect, providential location. But there's a third reason I think this vision commends itself to us, and that happens to be this, what I'm calling Sunday School Reasons. The ministry of Bible study, what some call Sunday School, is a prominent feature of the vision I outlined last Sunday. In the industry, and I don't like calling it that, but for lack of a better term, in the Bible study industry, Sunday school classes happen to be open groups. There are many ways to do them. We do them through the Sunday school. There are some who might say, well, this happens to be the most boring thing you could ever emphasize in a local church. And let's just admit, there are some Sunday school classes that are dead, lifeless, and boring. They can be. I've been to some around the nation. Perhaps not here, but uh, the truth is that happens. I recommend that we do with Sunday school what manufacturers and engineers have done with televisions. Back in the 50s, when televisions uh, became uh, widespread and the, the, uh, a rather widespread thing to own, they were black and white with antennas and aluminum foil between them to get reception, is what they were. Usually the picture was fuzzy, some would come in, some would come out till they perfected it, and then the televisions grew larger. And then eventually they develop color for television. And then eventually they had remote controls. Those of you kids who complain about your, fathering, your father holding the remote control all the time, you need to know when I was a kid, I had to get up and walk across the room to change the channel. <laughs> it's not quite walking in the snow uphill both ways to school, 
But it's far easier than what you have it today. But that's what's happened with televisions through the years, is that they have improved, but they basically do the same thing now that they did when they first came out. And I suggest that's precisely what we do with the Sunday school ministry. And that is we continue to teach, but teach better. We continue to reach, but we reach better. We continue to care, but we care better, is what we do with our Sunday school ministry. Let me tell you what can happen when Sunday school is done right, according to our research. One, when Sunday school is done right, we can grow. In Georgia, the United States, and around the, around the globe, the multiplication of Sunday school classes or open groups is the number one predictor of church growth. Number two, when Sunday school is done, done right, we can teach. One of the remarkable gifts that God has given to Beach Haven Baptist Church are top-shelf teachers. I know that. My wife has visited every one of those classes, adult and youth classes. And so she has witnessed that. I have fellowship with many of them as well. And I've got to tell you, they do a marvelous job. If you are not part of a Sunday school class, please hurry next Sunday and be a part of one. When Sunday school is done right in the third place, we can cultivate. My vision and my dream is to get lost people under the teaching of the Word of God and to flood Sunday school classes with those who do not know Christ so that we can take months and years if necessary to expose them to the Word of God. And in that environment, it is very difficult to avoid a decision for Jesus Christ. In fact, we have found that if you have two non-Christians enroll in a Sunday school class, within 12 months, one of the two will come to Christ. Then, when Sunday school is done right, we can care. The need to care for our folks on this side of the Jordan is intense and it is strong. The good news is Beach Haven has that kind of heart. What you must do is organize that heart. And to testify to you about the heart that Beach Haven has, there are actually members from other churches in our region that when they have a problem, they call us to help them. I want that to continue. I want us to have that kind of reputation. But we need more than a heart. We have to have organization to make sure we take care of people or else they will fall through the cracks. My hope is through the Sunday school we can do that. We used to try to do that through the deacon family ministry plan. In most places that did not work despite the best efforts of deacons and their wives. It was a good ministry on paper. It simply did not result in the kind of ministry that was anticipated in the office in Nashville. However, what I want to say to you is it is much easier, much more reasonable to break Sunday school classes down into groups of four and put a care group leader over every youth and every adult that is in Sunday school and to contact them weekly. That's how we can care. And then when Sunday school is done right, we can assimilate. We can assimilate. Now, I don't mean to go Star Trek Next Generation on you, but uh, the truth is, is that Sunday school is the most powerful assimilation tool that happens to be, or open groups, anywhere on the earth. In fact, Alan Taylor at First Baptist Woodstock calls it the Velcro of the church. And I think he's right. When someone starts off in a Sunday school class without knowing Christ and comes to know Christ, the assimilation rate is nearly 100% in those churches that emphasize that and have that experience. So Sunday school reasons. There's a fourth uh, set of reasons as well, and that happens to be generational region, uh, reasons. Too often, when we talk about the generations, the conversation immediately descends into artificial divisions. I want to say to you, 
I have one part of my life among the young. I have another part of my life among the old. And I must say to you, the differences between the generations are exaggerated and unreal. In fact, among Christian young people and Christian older people, and really all younger people and all older people, younger generations and older generations, especially in Christ, the similarities and what we share together is far greater than what happens to be divisive. In fact, there, when you do happen to find division, you happen to find a shared common element, but just a different intensity and emphasis upon it. There's not an awful lot of difference. No, not at all. Oftentimes, those are overblown. Among the older generation, they have several values that we can applaud. They want things done right. They want order. They want appropriate restraint, and they want dignity. Well, I don't know anyone in a younger generation who disagrees with that. But let me talk to you about the younger generation for just a moment. The younger generation values everything I just outlined, but it emphasizes the following. One, flexibility, especially when it comes to people. Dignity and order and restraint cannot get in the way of meeting the needs of people. If it doesn't, then it's entirely useful. Second, they value mentorship. Instead of running from older adults, this millennial generation that's been born probably since about 1983-84 wants to walk with older adults because so often in their own life things have come apart and they haven't received the necessary guidance to successfully navigate adult life. In fact, that is a stronger value in this generation than it was in the generation that preceded them. In fact, the generation today of millennials, the young adult generation today, is more likely to seek out its parents for counsel and advice than any other in their lives. And so there's a great desire for mentorship. I saw that running the mentorship program at Southwestern Seminary. There was a great thirst and hunger for that kind of service. And then third, they value... Christian kids especially, in a biblical sense, inclusion and access. They want a heart and soul and mind that seeks to include everyone in the Christian kids under the lordship of Christ and within biblical boundaries. So I've got to say to you, our reach into our local community is not only biblically necessary and necessary for the church, it is necessary for our integrity and our credibility. We will lose credibility or never gain it if we happen to be a monolithic culture within the church family. So let me say to you, there's not an older person that disagrees with any of this. Is there an, is there an older person of the older generation that disagrees with flexibility? No. Mentorship? No. Including all that we possibly can within the boundaries of the Word of God? No. Not at all. There may be a, different in, a difference in intensity of emphasis. But ladies and gentlemen, the truth is, the younger generation is a marvelous mirror of the older generation. And the older generation happens to be a great forecast of where the younger generation is going. I've got to say to you, I am convinced that our best days are ahead of us, not behind us. Precisely because of the great mentorship uh, opportunities and capabilities of the older generation and precisely because of the thirst among the young. In other words, with our generations at Beach Haven Baptist Church, we are perfectly situated to be the church God wants us to be. We don't lack among the older. We don't lack among the younger. We've got what we need to move forward. There are also...
personal reasons to pursue this vision. I'm not a bit surprised that this vision statement is, is on my heart. This is really reflective of my background. Now, I've got to tell you, if I were entirely selfish, I would forget the world. And I would spend all of my time with Christians, especially older Christians. I really would. There are some days when I feel like my mind and my thinking and um, how I'm constructed fits better there. And many times. My age is getting to that place too. My wife's is not, but mine is. So if I were entirely selfish, I would forget the world. I have a heart for these things. I have experience and a background with it, but it's not easy and it never has been. If you struggle to reach and to love and to care, you're not a lousy Christian. You're breathing. It's always difficult. But there is something about God's Word in my background and my experiences that compel me to propose the vision statement we looked at earlier. My home, as I told you before, was a poor single-parent home in my elementary school years. And that was quite a challenge. And so I've got a concern about the poor who almost are entirely unchurched. Almost entirely. I'm anxious for their eternity. I also realize that most churches are so frustrated with the poor, they won't seek to reach them. My calling also is consistent with this. I felt early on when I was called to ministry that God might call me to be an evangelist, but He never did. I'm glad. That's the toughest thing in the world to do. At the end of my freshman year in college, however, I read about the world situation and since God was calling me to be a missionary. But we had some family circumstances that kept us from doing that. Michelle shared that calling as well, starting in the ninth grade, after her, or towards, somewhere in her freshman year in high school. But we had some family circumstances that kept us off the international mission field. I am convinced, however, that what William Temple, the Archbishop Bishop of the Church of England, said is entirely true. The church is the only institution that exists for those who are not its members. And I think he's right. But then my experience as well in pastoral ministry leads me to propose this vision to you. In my first pastorate in King Street, South Carolina, we had a English as a second language ministry on Thursday nights. I wanted to expand that ministry, so we worked with our association and the South Carolina Baptist Convention, and at that time the Home Mission Board, to bring on a summer missionary from Chile, Carlos de la Barra. And Carlos had owned his own computer company in uh, the capital city of Chile and worked also for the Chilean airlines there. But God called him to ministry after he came to Christ as a result of a witness from some of our Southern Baptist missionaries. He went to Southern Seminary and then came to First Baptist Church King Street, King Street, South Carolina. And that summer went gangbusters over reaching migrants. And through that ministry, of English as a second language and Sunday school and preaching, which is what Carlos did, we were able to form the groundwork of the International Baptist Mission there in King Street. The Nazarenes disbanded, sold us, and basically gave us their building, and we established a mission church there right after I left from King Street in a town of 4,000 people. That's very difficult to find those kinds of numbers in a town that small. I went then 
to seminary and pastored the Middlesex Baptist Church in Middlesex, North Carolina. While I was there, our young adults and our older adults got thrilled about reaching the entire community. We had a number of folks, Hispanic and African American, coming to our services then. There was a movement, there was a movement in that church, very small, short-lived, to fire me over it. Hannah Grace wasn't but about 18 months old. Jonathan was just beyond three years. It wasn't very large, it wasn't going to go anywhere, but folks, I was a 28-year-old pastor and it scared the daylights out of me. And I ate my way through it and I had isomnia just about every evening for several months until my deacon solved the problem. And I was very grateful for that. In fact, I asked one deacon to go talk to um, the uh, lady spearheading the movement, and he solved it pretty quickly. But I have to tell you, I had to come to a decision in my own ministry. In fact, I faced it in my first pastorate. And that is, who is my Lord? Who's the boss of my life? And I thank God that's not an issue here, but I will tell you what I decided there in my second pastorate. I agreed with Isaiah the prophet who said, underneath thee are everlasting arms. So I came to the conclusion, I am willing to lose my job for an open door in my church. I'm willing to lose it if that's what it takes. I don't want to beat my chest. I don't want to have a lot of bravado as far as this is concerned. But what I've got to tell you is, Beach Haven Baptist Church is going to be a church of the open door. Oh, that wasn't the end of it, by the way. We had four seminary students, three of the four, who had Spanish language capabilities that joined uh, our church. And our Women's Missionary Union began to see the need to share the gospel with migrant workers in the area. And so I set them loose on it. We established a Sunday school class and then for the Spanish language folks and then established an English as a second language ministry there in the afternoon. And when we voted on that on Sunday morning to install these folks as Sunday school workers, that evening I got a call from a church leader who told me five families were threatening to leave if we did that ministry. Well, I'd had that earlier experience, so I wasn't too worried about it. So I went to my deacons and talked with them, and they became furious. And they met, and they basically said, well, don't let the door hit you on the way out. In fact, that's not exactly how they put it. <laughs> don't let the Great Commission hit you on the way out. So we stood, and we stood firm. Nothing came of it. For 24 months, we were able to do those, that ministry until they graduated. And in that time, Sunday school attendance rose to 25, and I was able to baptize five out of that particular ministry. I didn't do the work, just cast the vision, and God blessed it greatly. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to say there's some personal reasons why I want to pursue this vision. It's in my heart, it's in my soul, and I believe in large measure, if not complete measure, it's in yours. There is no reasonable excuse to keep us from our community and our world. We've got the right book. We've got the right heart. We've got the right Bible study ministry. We have got the right sentiment at Beach Haven Baptist Church and the right mixture of people. Ladies and gentlemen, Beach Haven, Beach Haven Baptist Church is not in decline. It's not a boring place. It's not an old worn out place. Instead, it is a place that will win and build great commissionaries for the glory of God.
Isaiah Austin may be a name with which you're familiar if you keep up with college basketball. He plays for Baylor University, at least did until recently. Seven foot one, projected to go high in the draft in the NBA. But when he was 12 years old, he was playing a game of baseball and was hit in the eye. And that injury, unbeknownst to him, ruptured his retina. And two years later, when dunking a basketball during warm-ups of a basketball game, it completely detached. Over the next two or three months, he completely lost vision in that eye and went to play the NCAA Division I basketball at Baylor, Baylor University with vision in just one eye. He compensated it for swiveling real quickly on his heel and keeping his head turned to the left or the right shoulder and want to watch where he was going to take advantage of that positioning to see. Whenever his retina was detached, he became very depressed and very upset. One day his mother came to him and said, look, you need to get past this. You can make this injury your excuse, or you can make it part of your story. And that is precisely what he's done. Let me say to you, there is more power in God than there is weakness in Beach Haven. There is more hope in God than there are dark clouds in the Athens-Clark County region. This is the best day to be a member of Beach Haven Baptist Church. This is the best day to live in the Athens-Clark County region. We have the opportunity to show the world a manifestation of the kingdom of God before Jesus splits the eastern sky and comes again. That is precisely what we've got. So there's no reasonable excuse, none whatsoever. And there's no excuse to keep you from Jesus Christ. May I suggest to you, you contribute the sin and the guilt, and God will contribute the grace, and as long as you trust the cross and resurrection, you can have all sins canceled. There's no excuse to stay from Him. When Queen Elizabeth was crowned in 1953, she sent out invitations to 950 uh, folks to attend. And on the invitation at the bottom, the invitation read, All excuses set aside. Everyone was expected to attend. Cancel every other trip. Cancel every other obligation. The queen has called, you therefore come. And the king is calling you now. All excuses set aside. You come and come today. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that we would do precisely that. And that we would honor the Lord by setting aside excuses and saying yes to Him. Fill us powerfully with Your Spirit. Give us the grace to repent and place faith in Christ and to embrace Your future for our church. And we pray that we would have that now. We're going to sing a song. And as we sing, let me ask you to stand from where you are and meet a staff member here in front who will help you meet your spiritual need. Would you quickly stand with me? Let me finish my prayer and we're going to ask you to come. Father, thank You in Jesus' name that we can come. Thank you for the fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. I pray many would plunge beneath the flood and lose guilty stains. Help the rest of us who know him to follow him with everything we have now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You come. Let's sing together. You come. Jesus, the hope of the nations, Jesus, comfort for all who mourn, 
truth any circumstance. You are the source. 